Well, Uvalde has many interesting distinctions. One of these distinctions is being the birthplace of Dell Evans. Now, some of you immediately go, Dell Evans, of course. And others of you who are probably a bit younger go, Dell Evans, really? Who's that? Well, Dell Evans was an actress, a singer, a songwriter. She was the star cowgirl in the, the Roy Rogers show back in the 1950s. She wrote this song, Happy Trails. Uh, most of you have heard that song. Well, Evans' early life was marked by a lot of turmoil. She was married, had a baby, been abandoned by her husband, and divorced before she even turned the age of 18. Uh, two more fail, failed marriages came, and then she married Roy Rogers. And she and Roy Rogers had a daughter together, a daughter named Robin. Before Robin's second birthday, she had passed away due to complications related to, to Down syndrome. Well, shortly after Robin's death, Roy and Dale met a little boy who had been abandoned at a Kentucky motel. He had physical and mental disabilities, but when he met Roy, he stuck out his hand and he said, Howdy, partner. And Roy Rogers and Dell Evans adopted that little boy. They named him Sandy because of the color of his hair. Well, Sandy would, would, uh, would live in their home, later come to know Christ at a Billy Graham uh, rally. Uh, when he was 17, he enrolled in military school, and he loved it. And then he would later go on to serve in, in the U.S. Army, went to Germany, went to Vietnam. And after a period of, of being out in intense operations and maneuverings for around 26 days, he came back to the base. And he was worn out and tired. And some of the guys there got together and they said to Sandy, you know what? You need to prove yourself a man. You need to prove that you're a man. And so they, they challenged him to drink. Well, he had a low tolerance for alcohol. They gave him hard liquor and he collapsed. The next day he was found in his bed having vomited and choked to death. Well, a year before Sandy's death, just barely a year before, Dale and Roy had lost another child. They had adopted a Korean-born daughter. They had named Debbie. She was on a church mission trip, and she died in a car accident with, with the bus, the, the, the church bus. So when they received news of Sandy's death, they had lost three children. Three children they had lost. It was a terribly difficult time in the life of Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. Yes, life is filled with tragedy and trials. It's filled with a lot of good, but it's also filled with a lot of difficulty. Have past tragedies broken you down? Has the uncertainty of life weighted you down? Or is it the constant hardship of family trouble, trouble with the children or trouble with the grandchildren or, or trouble in your marriage? Or is it an ongoing physical pain that you have to endure and it just won't stop? It just goes on and on and on. Or is it loneliness? Does it feel that the world has forgotten about you? Or maybe it's just the daily grind of flat tires and dead batteries and running noses. Now life can wear you flat out. How do we endure the difficulties and the hardships and the trials of life? How do we endure those? How do we endure these with, with joy? Well, those are the questions that we're going to think about this morning as we begin a new series through the book of James called Faith in Motion. We'll be in the first chapter of James. I'd invite you to take a pew Bible if you don't have one. Turn to page 1071. Now, according to James chapter 1, verse 1, James is the author of this book. 
Now, it doesn't say which James. So, so naturally, we ask the question, well, which James? Is it James, the son of Zebedee? Is it James, Jesus' half-brother? Well, James, Jesus' half-brother, is the most likely candidate because he was a primary or dominant leader in the church at Jerusalem. Uh, you can see that in Acts 15 when he spoke very clearly. We also see that there's similarity between his speech uh, in Acts 15, the Greek that's used and the Greek that's used in the book of James. And there are other reasons that we believe that James, the half-brother of Jesus, is the James that's being talked about. The fact that his designation isn't given further is evidence that it's the half-brother of Jesus because he was the leader of the Jerusalem church or one of the primary leaders. So the, the fact that it needed no further designa- designation suggests that he's the author. This book was written, one of the earliest Christian letters, sometime before A.D. 50. And as you can see in verse 1, he addressed this letter to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad or scattered among the nations. So James wrote to Jewish Christians who had been scattered out all over the Mediterranean world. Now, more than likely, they've been scattered out because of the persecution that they faced in Jerusalem. If you look in Acts 12, you can read an example of this persecution, but an intense persecution broke out against believers. You remember Stephen was was martyred or, or died for his faith, for example. And so Christians scattered out all over. God used that scattering to, to, to take the gospel to all kinds of places. But James writes to these believers. He had pastored them and shepherded them when they were in the church at Jerusalem. But now they're scattered out. And he writes this letter to continue shepherding his scattered flock. Let's read together James chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad. Greetings. Consider consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises, and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass, Its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. In this text, James teaches that we should endure trials with joy. We should endure trials with joy as God uses hardships for our good. But how? How do we endure trials with joy? Well, let's look at the text. In verse 2, James challenged fellow believers to have this attitude of joy. Now, notice that James doesn't say, have joy if you face trials. Now, what does he say? He says, have joy when you face trials. This is the reality. If you are a believer, you're going to have hard times. You're going to face difficulty. You're going to face trials. James says when, not if, and there's a reason for that. Sometimes we have this naivety that says, hey, I came to know Jesus and now all of life's going to be great. That is not the testimony of Scripture. The testimony of Scripture is that 
until we reach heaven, we're going to face difficulty and hardship, but that God in his grace will help us and he will walk with us. And so James says when, not if, when you face trials, this life is going to stretch you, it's going to push you, it's going to pull you. But what does James say about these trials? James says that these trials are opportunities for strengthening. They're opportunities to grow deeper in our faith. You see that the trials, James says, produce perseverance and and perseverance works and our faith becomes mature and complete. Think about those words for a moment. Our faith becomes mature and complete. So the trials push us to a deeper faith, to a more life-altering faith. In fact, James says that it's the trials that bring us to maturity. Don't we want to be mature? Well, James says it's the trials that get us there. So it's the difficulties, it's the heartbreaks of life. Those are the very tools that God uses to push us deep into him. And because trials push us to Christian maturity, James says that they are an occasion for joy. They're an occasion for joy. So how can you have joy in the face of hardships? Well, first, consider the present benefit of trials. Consider the present benefit of trials the opportunity to mature in your faith. Now, when we endure trials with a right heart toward God, He works to mature our faith. He works to, to help us grow deeper. So while suffering isn't good, and while pain and heartache aren't something that we cherish, God works good through them. God works good in the midst of them. I remember back in school, I had a government professor that that drove me crazy. It seemed like he wanted us to have every line of the book memorized, all of the class notes memorized. And as an added bonus, he wanted us to memorize, in terms of the map, the location of every single country in the world and its capital. And, and I can remember when I, when I was a freshman in college, just thinking, what's the point of this? But I would spend hours studying. I would, I would go to the study area of the dorm during the night, the night before the test, I'd sleep a couple hours and I would study and study and study and study and study. All the memory work just drove me crazy. Now, at the time, I didn't have any idea that having some grasp of government might be helpful, having some notion of geography might be a good thing. At the time, I I didn't think any of it really mattered. It just seemed like a waste of time. Well, I remember studying for those tests. You know what made me study? It was the test that made me study. It was the test that pushed me. It was the test that made me read. It was the test that made me review, that made me go back over the notes, that made me look at the map once again. I never once stayed up all night to read the government book for the sake of knowledge. Not one time, no. It was the test that pushed me. It was the test that made me keep going. And it is the tests and the trials of life that will push us deep into the Lord if we will allow them to. It's the test that will push us. It's the test, it's the trials that will help us grab a hold of him and not let go. You see, when everything's going good, it's so easy to become complacent. But when things are tough, then we start, we start trying to find something to hold on to. And if we'll discover, if we'll decide that we're going to hold on to Christ, that's when we'll find that we grow deep in him. It is the test. So how should this influence our our lives and our thinking? Well, recognize that trials are an opportunity to know Christ more deeply. Trials are an opportunity to know him more deeply. Every trial is a chance to lean into him. 
that lost job, that sharp disagreement with a friend, the death of a loved one, a broken leg, declining health, cataracts, marital problems, failing grades. Yes, each of these and countless others are chances, opportunities, invitations where God says, learn to depend on me. Learn to find that that I'm all that you need in this difficulty. There are opportunities to trust him more deeply. Of course, sometimes we we miss the opportunity to trust Christ more fully. In the midst of a trial, we can begin to ask questions. We can begin to doubt God. How could a good God allow this to happen? How could could he allow this? How How could this happen if God were good, if God were all that he said that he was? But friends, when those thoughts come into our minds, we must come back to the truth of the word. And the truth of the word is this, that God so loved that he gave his one and only son. So that when we begin to wonder, God, why are you allowing this? God, why did you permit that? Why did that happen? God, what good could come out of this? We, we can't answer all those questions, but we must go back to the sure and certain foundation of the cross where God proved his love without a shadow of a doubt. He gave his own boy for our good, for our redemption, for our salvation. So when the doubts come, you go back to the truth the truth that God loved passionately. He made a way for you to know him, to know him for all eternity. So keep holding on. If you'll run to him in the midst of your pain, you're going to know him more deeply. And knowing him more deeply is of immeasurable worth. Next, trials shape us at a heart level. They shape us at the deepest level and they perfect our faith. It's easy for us to talk a good talk. We've all done it. Oh, I really love Jesus. Oh, I'm committed to the Lord. But often these are words. We have good intentions, but, but frequently our faith is just more talk. A lot of the times there's not a lot of action in our lives. Oh, but the trials, the trials change that. The trials move us beyond superficial faith cliches. The trials move us to be changed at the deepest levels. Yes, misery is an opportunity to greater maturity. It's the pain that pushes us to true piety if we'll seek the Lord in the midst of our trials. So we can endure trials if we reflect on the benefit, the present benefit, the fact that our faith can be strengthened, our love for the Lord can grow deep. How else do we endure the trials of life with joy? Let's keep looking. In verse 4, James says that, Trials bring us to maturity that we might not lack anything. But then in verse 5, James recognizes that in the midst of trials, we may well lack wisdom. And so what does he say? He says that in the midst of trials, we ought to seek wisdom. We ought to ask God for wisdom. Wisdom enables the believer to live life with a more eternal perspective. Wisdom enables the the believer to experience victory in the midst of great trials, to, to know, hey, this is the right way to go or to have the right attitude or perspective in the, in the midst of the difficulty. So James says that God gives wisdom graciously without holding our sin against us. He'll help us make decisions in the midst of, of difficult circumstances. He'll help us live with abundant, uh, abundantly and, and with the right perspective in the midst of, of hardship. In verse 6, James warns his readers against doubt. Doubt is a barrier to receiving wisdom from God. The believer ought to pray with confidence, having certain assurance that God is going to give the needed wisdom. Since God has made this promise, anything less than complete trust in him belittles the character of God. 
So how can we have joy in the face of hardship? Seek wisdom from God. Number two, seek wisdom from God. So when the bitter winds are blowing, go to God and say to God, I don't understand what you're doing, what you're allowing. I don't understand it, but God, I'm pleading with you. Give me wisdom to live in the right way, to have the right perspective. God, give me wisdom. Give me insight. After losing her third child, Dell Evans was utterly heartbroken. In reflecting on her dark days, this is what Evans wrote, tragedy in a Christian's life is a refiner. God has not promised an easy way, but peace at the center of the hard way. The clouds of sorrow have been heavy, but I have reached the point of no return in my Christian experience. And with Job, I can cry, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Now, friends, that's an example of the wisdom of God in the face of trials. She didn't have all the answers. She didn't understand why God had permitted these children into her life and then taken them so early. She didn't know the answers. But God had given her the wisdom to see the bigger picture, that though she didn't understand, she could hold fast to him and trust him. In the midst of the pain, she could keep holding on. So how do we live this out? Well, first, ask God for wisdom, especially in the face of trials. Ask him to help you see things from his perspective. Ask, you, ask him to, to help you make good decisions in the midst. Ask him to help you have the right attitudes toward others in the, in the midst of difficulties and hardships. Often we can take them out on our, on our families or the people that we love. Ask God to help you not do that but to live in a way that honors him in the midst of your hardship and in the midst of your difficulty. Next, have confidence in God. Have confidence in him. He has promised wisdom to those who ask in faith. He's promised it. He's going to give you what you need to make it through this trial. So trust him to do that. He's a good father. He loves you. He he loves you. So to endure trials with joy, ask God for wisdom. How else do we endure trials with joy? Let's look in verse 9. James turns his focus to the specific trial of poverty. Those who are in need, James says, must focus on their position in Christ. Maybe you're struggling to make ends meet, being able to to pay the bills, and, and every month it just seems like a struggle and a battle. And that's the trial that you endure. Well, James says here, Don't spend your time just focusing on the the challenges that you have. But if you're struggling financially, focus on the riches that, that you have in Christ. You have the most valued possession of all. You know Jesus. You know him. You you have the eternal riches of knowing Christ. And you may feel as if the the world is against you and you you got nothing going for you, you got no money to take care of things, but you have Jesus, you have everything. You have everything. That's, that's what James is saying. They may not have much here, but you have eternal riches. In verses 10 and 11, James spotlights a different kind of test. Now, this is not something that we often think of in, in our world today as a test, but he emphasizes the test of prosperity. You see, prosperity presents its own kind of trial and its own kind of temptation. The wealthy person must not focus on all that he has, on showing off his great wealth, his focus can't be on money. 
Instead, he remembers his position of humility. James says to think of the, the grass and the flower in the field with a, with a burning heat and dry wind. We can think of that, can't we? And James says the rich man ought to recognize that he's just like that flower that falls in the midst of the scorching heat. He may have a lot, but ultimately his life's going to end just like everyone else's. What's James saying to the man of wealth? He's saying to, to a person of wealth, don't put your hope in what you have. Instead, recognize the fact that, that you're on the same ground as everyone else. Your life's going to end just like Everyone else's life is going to end. Your life is brief, just like everyone else's life is brief. So what is James saying to the poor and to the, to the rich alike? He's saying, keep your focus on what's eternal, not on the here and now. Put your focus on what's eternal. So trials level both rich and poor. In the midst of trials, both people who have much and who have little must shift their focus from what they have or don't have to what is ahead. In other words, must shift their focus from the here and now to the eternal. James also notes as he speaks of the, the wealthy, the brevity of life. In a moment, he says, a rich man's life will be over. And for this reason, his focus must be, must be on eternal things. So how can you have joy in the face of hardships? Rich or poor, maintain an eternal perspective. Third, maintain an eternal perspective. So if you struggle financially, remember you belong to Jesus. You're his And in that way, you have everything. Other folks may have all kinds of things that you would love to have. But if you got Jesus, you got more than the wealthiest person in the whole world who doesn't know the Lord. Oh, they may have lots of toys and a comfortable house and and this and that. The list could go on. Oh, but put your focus on what you have. You have Him. You know the Lord. What could be better? What could be better? So often, we focus on on what we've lost, on on what we don't have. We focus on what hurts, what breaks our hearts. It's not wrong to to grieve our losses. Certainly, we must. But when our losses become our sole focus, when our losses become what we dwell on all the time, we lose perspective. No, we need to focus on what we have in Christ, on who we are in Christ, on what is ahead for those who know Him. If we belong to Him, If we know him, we have eternity ahead. Eternity ahead. We have a hope and a future that cannot fade. It cannot fade away. The the future that we face, if we know Jesus, is unimaginably wonderful. So we got to keep an eternal perspective. What does this look like in our lives? Well, first, if you struggle financially, Realize the spiritual riches that are yours in Christ. Don't don't lose heart in the midst of the the day-to-day struggle. You remember whose you are, who you belong to, and what that means in your life. Don't lose sight of Christ and his love for you. Next, if you're wealthy, beware of placing your confidence in your riches. Beware of putting your confidence in what you have. Don't trust in what you have. Instead, strive to have a a humble spirit as riches can be gone in an instant. Don't let your wealth be your security. Put your focus on what is eternal. Realize that wealth is truly found in the riches of knowing Jesus. That's where real wealth is found. Next, realize that life is but a breath. Life is but a breath. We must train ourselves to maintain an eternal perspective. Is life hard? And it can be. Is life difficult? 
It can wear you out. But life is brief compared to eternity. It's but a tiny drop in the bucket of eternity. So when we struggle, we got to maintain this eternal perspective. Maybe our lot in life seems heavy. Heavier than the lot that other people must bear. But friends, this life will be over like that. And then, if we know Jesus, eternity will endure and endure and endure and endure. Oh, and this pain that we experienced will be but a blip in comparison. It'll be so small in comparison. Oh, there'll, be, there'll come a day when these trials are gone and you are rejoicing. So keep a heart focused on eternity. So to endure trials with joy, maintain an eternal perspective. How else can we endure trials with joy? Let's look in verse 12. Now, remember we said earlier, many of these Christians were facing intense persecution. They had left their homes. They had left their houses. Many had left their families. And yet in the midst of these difficulties, James calls his fellow believers to persevere. He says the one who perseveres is going to be blessed. In other words, when you keep holding on to Jesus, even when you don't understand, even when you're hurting, you keep holding on, there's a blessing waiting for you there. He is going to help you. He's going to bless you. So the one who endures a trial, well, James says, is going to know that inner quality of happiness and peace that only God can bring. It goes beyond our circumstances. The joy and the peace that God brings in our hearts that blessing will be ours if we keep going. In fact, the Christian who endures the trials of life and trusts God and keeps holding on to him, James says, can look forward to receiving the crown of life. Of course, this doesn't mean that we earn heaven. We know that that we could never be good enough to go to heaven. Only Jesus, only Jesus in his death on the cross makes it possible for us to go to heaven. He took our place on the cross. He was our substitute on the cross. So when we get to heaven, the only way we can get there is through our faith in Christ. But what James is talking about is that when we've walked with the Lord through trials and we've kept holding on, we can count on this, a special reward for having held fast to him. In fact, the the, the difficulties that you faced and the hardships of life will make eternity that much sweeter for you, will make eternity that much better more incredible for you. One New Testament scholar said that the crown is a mark of honor given by the great king to his friends. It's a mark of honor, the crown of life, enduring with faithfulness. This crown is a reward for faithfulness in the face of trials. So how can you endure trials with joy? Number four, anticipate eternal reward. Anticipate eternal reward. As you hold fast to the Lord in the face of pain and suffering, you're going to discover that eternity is better. So focus on the eternal rewards. It'll be better than the greatest of dreams. What does this look like in our lives? Refuse to dwell on the pain of the here and now. Refuse to dwell on the pain of of the here and now. Focusing only on your pain is a formula for discouragement and despair. This world can be tough. Jesus said that it would be. Scripture bears it out. Ultimately, life's hardships press this reality in on us. But don't dwell on the pain. Don't dwell on the heartache. If you do, of course you're going to be down. You're going to be sad. You're going to be depressed. The Christian must look beyond the here and now. I want to say a word to those of you who are struggling with depression. If you're struggling with depression and you're struggling with despair, 
I want to urge you to talk with a, a Christian brother or sister, a mature believer. Talk with a pastor. Talk with a, a Christian counselor, a trusted physician. Don't walk through those days of darkness alone. Do not. God didn't intend for you to. He intends for us to minister to one another. That's one of the reasons that he puts us in a family like this, so that we can bear one another's burdens. James was, was ministering to these people. and writing this letter, he was, he was encouraging these people who were struggling. They needed a word of encouragement from him. And we likewise need each other to, to, to bear each other's burdens. So please, if you're struggling, talk with someone. Please, I, I plead with you. God doesn't intend for you to bear that on your own. Next, remember that God will reward you as you faithfully endure trials. He'll reward you. So when life throws you another hardship, hold on to the fact that it's a chance for eternal riches. It's a chance to experience eternity in an even more rich and amazing way. How do we survive the kinds of miseries that life can bring? The kinds of miseries that, that Dell Evans endured? Well, we hold on to Christ. We hold on to what is ahead. Hebrews 12, 2 encourages to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus endured the cross by looking ahead at the joy that was ahead of him. And so I say to you, brother and sister, hold on to the joy of heaven and the thrill of eternity, and you'll be able to endure the trials of this life better. A passenger train was winding its way through the countryside when a terrible storm hit. Winds were blowing in an un unbelievable way. Lightning, thunder, rain was pouring. And everybody on that passenger train seemed pretty terrified. What's this going to turn into? But there was one little girl who sat there playing with her toys and didn't seem a bit worried. She was by herself, as a matter of fact. Didn't seem a bit worried at all. And so one of the passengers leaned over to that young girl and said, are, are you okay? And the little girl said, sure, I'm fine. And the pastor said, well, you don't seem troubled by the storm. And she said, I'm, I'm really not. And the, the pastor who was speaking with her said to the little girl, well, why not? And she said, oh, my daddy's the conductor of this train. I've got nothing to worry about. And friends, from the words of a child came some wise words. If you belong to the Lord, your father is the conductor of the train. And friend, you've got nothing to worry about. Oh, there's going to be some tough times. Jesus promised that. But he's never, ever going to let you go. He's never going to let you down. If he allows you to walk through tough times, he's going to be holding you every step of the way. He's going to be holding you. You can endure life's challenges with joy as you keep holding on to the hand of your father. As you keep trusting him, as you keep trusting that he's taking you home, that he's going to get you there, I'll face hardships with joy. Believers, call out to God for wisdom in your pain. Some of you are struggling in intense ways today. Ask the Lord for wisdom. Ask the Lord for the grace to live with trust in him, to keep holding on to him. Ask him for help. He'll help you. He loves you. He cares for you. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, I have some stark words for you. 
If you do not know the Lord Jesus, you have no lasting hope. You have no lasting hope beyond whatever you can grab a hold of in the here and now. There'll be nothing to hold on to when death comes. You see, Christ is the only true hope in life and in death. He died on the cross taking the punishment for sin upon himself. So if you, if you want to know God, you don't do it by trying to be good. You, you come to know God by calling out to Jesus in faith and saying to him, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I believe you died and rose again, and I want to follow you. And when you make that kind of faith commitment to the Lord and you call out to him, the Bible says that he'll save you. And friend, I want you to know when Jesus saves you, you have hope in life and in death. You have a father who will never let go of you. You have a father who's taking you home and who will hold you fast. Join me in prayer.